But in all the history of the world, you, the people, have never had a voice in declaring war. And strange as it certainly appears, no war by any nation in any age has ever been declared by the people. And here, let me emphasize the fact, and it cannot be repeated too often, that the working class who fight all the battles, the working class who make the supreme sacrifices, the working class who freely shed their blood and furnish the corpses, have never yet had a voice in either declaring war or making peace. It is the ruling class that invariably does both. They alone declare war, and they alone make peace. Yours not to reason why, yours but to do or die. This is their model, and we object on the part of the awakening workers of this nation. Welcome to Struggle in the Suburbs, a leftist podcast that looks at the definition and experience of socialism within the context of small cities, towns, and suburbs. My name is Michael Spears. I'm your host. That, of course, was Eugene Debs, voiced by Bernie Sanders, by the way. That was a speech by Eugene Debs in 1918, uh, a speech that landed him in jail. Uh, it was anti-war, uh, but I thought, uh, given the context of what so many workers uh, in our country uh, are being called to do um, these days, dealing with the coronavirus, I thought it was appropriate uh, to, uh, to play it, uh, just to kind of remind us about the fact that working people are forced by the ruling class to, to bear the brunt of so much. When they're called upon, um, and so I thought it was uh, I thought it was appropriate. So uh, this episode is uh, going to be about the the coronavirus, about how uh, we're dealing with it, um, how uh, we should be dealing with it, uh, and, and a look at how it's affecting working people, and how it can be kind of a catalyst to to change to. Finally, doing what's right for poor people are the most vulnerable, uh, racialized communities, and of course, uh, working people. So we're going to have a look at that stuff. Um, so I just wanted to start by, um, you know, just saying how you know I'm, how thankful I am for people who are on the front lines right now, keeping us safe. Uh, and in ensuring that our society and uh, economy can function uh, to the best of its ability. So, you know, thinking about the doctors, the nurses, all healthcare workers, um, uh, first responders, but also, uh, you know, to the workers that, you know, people have called them the real heroes here. You know, they're the grocery store workers. Um, you know, our cashiers, people that are in the convenience stores, uh, people who are stocking shelves, um, the delivery people, um, people who are forced to, you know, work in Amazon warehouses um, just to, to ensure that we can get packages delivered uh, when we're afraid to go out um, for good reasons, and don't get me wrong. 
Uh, so I'm, th I'm thinking of those people uh, right now, um, you know, as I'm hunkered down in my basement, um, uh, voicing this this podcast tonight. So, uh, you know, they're they're answering the call. They're the heroes. Uh, you know, where are the billionaires in all this? You know, where are the uh, uh, owners of big corporations? Uh, you know, the ones with the resources to, uh, you know, to to provide people with what they need uh, with like the snap of their fingers almost. Where are they? Uh, nowhere. That's where they are. Um, so I, th I think we all need to give, uh, you know, show our gratitude, uh, gratitude for these people who are, you know, putting their health uh, and their, even their life uh, in jeopardy um, to, to ensure that our, our society, uh, wherever you are, you know, make sure that it's, it's functioning. Uh, so today, as I'm recording this, uh, you know we've had a number of things that have that have happened um, uh, in terms of of the coronavirus. Um, you know, I live in Ontario, so we had Doug Ford today uh, say that he's going to close down um, most businesses that aren't deemed essential, uh, even though it's uh, the list of essential businesses that are going to be exempt is pretty. Uh, is, is pretty uh, um, uh, pretty uh, immense. Uh, it seems like most businesses are probably going to be going to be exempt. Um, so we ha we have declarations like emergency declarations um, uh, all across the country. Uh, from you know, provincial uh, municipalities are declaring uh, emergency. The city I live in, Barrie. Uh, just north of Toronto is declared a state of emergency, so that's happening. Obviously, social distancing is 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 going on. Um, uh, although I like the new term physical distancing, I think that's better because we still need to we still need to be social. We're humans. We're social beings. Um, uh, we need to we need to make sure that we're uh, that we are continuing to interact with uh, with people uh, in a safe way. I'm talking virtually or over the phone, uh, things that things that like that. So uh, that's happening, and it's important, uh, and it's ongoing. Uh, but it's it's creating a lot of anxiety. Uh, it's creating a lot of issues for workers uh, who uh, are forced to 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 go to work because they have to uh, they have to pay their bills. Um, right, and it, it's just a you know we'll get into that a, a little bit later. Um, about what this all means uh, and how we can ensure that working people, um, uh, you know, get um, get what they what they need um, and what working people deserve. Uh, as I said, like they keep this country going, and uh, you know they need uh, they need to get um, you know their kind of a kind of piece of the pie. So um, you know, in these in these extraordinary times, I know. That's um, not business as usual, uh, and um, it's it's it seems like it's it's working people again who are uh, kind of having to answer the call, uh, you know, just like uh, just like Eugene Deb said. So how did we get here? Well, I think the short answer is that 40 years of neoliberalism has stripped 
our social programs bear. Uh, privatization, austerity, uh, it's just resulted in basically a system that is incapable of dealing with this kind of crisis uh, in a humane way, uh, in a way that ensures that people have um, what they need to, to get through it. Uh, I'm talking, this is, this is uh, uh, financially, uh, uh, emotionally, uh, things like that, everything. Uh, I think one good example of this uh, is that in Canada today, Canada has the second lowest number of hospital beds per capita uh, in the entire developed world. The only country that's lower than Canada is Mexico. Uh, you know, you look at countries who are, um, who are handling the coronavirus as best as you possibly can. I think South Korea is a great example. Um, well, while Canada was getting rid of hospital beds, uh, South Korea was, was creating them. They were building hospitals, um, expanding hospitals, uh, really creating an infrastructure uh, that was designed to, uh, to handle influxes of people, uh, to get them out of waiting rooms, to get them out of hallways, uh, to make sure that the system isn't overburdened when, it, when it's needed. And, and you're seeing South Korea is doing a, a pretty good job um, of handling this. So, you know, the fact that Canada has gone the opposite direction when it comes to healthcare, um, it's kind of frightening when we're talking about worrying about, um, you know, flattening the curve. You know, we better get that curve flattened because if we don't, uh, you know, our hospitals, um, uh, you know, could be in trouble. You know, patients uh, that need to be in intensive care units, that need respirators, uh, you know, that need doctors to look after them, um, you know, they're going to be forgotten as more and more patients uh, dealing with COVID-19 are being admitted to our hospitals. Um, you know, the worst case scenario is to have doctors being forced to decide uh, who lives and who dies. Uh, it sounds far-fetched, but, um, you know, if we don't do what we need to do to slow down the spread of this virus, that's exactly where we could find ourselves. But we'll get through it. You know, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, but we'll, we will get through it. But I think it's important that we work to shape what kind of world and what kind of community we want and what our world and what our community will look like on the other side. You know, as socialists, we've fought for reforms as we continue to fight uh, for an end to capitalism. Uh, you know, while as we fight for an ultimate uh, socialist world, uh, you know, we've, we've put forward reforms that we think can be put in place now uh, to temporarily alleviate the problems of capitalism. So we're talking about things like you know, decent wages and working conditions um, for all workers, paid sick days uh, and emergency leave days. Uh, proper funding for our social programs, um, you know, more employment insurance, uh, more hospital beds, uh, free tuition, uh, free transit, things like that. And we're winning some of these now. You know, it's kind of, uh, it's both funny 
and frustrating and upsetting. You know, it took a crisis on the scale few of us have ever seen uh, to realize that these are ideas uh, uh, that will create a better world. These are good things. You know, we're seeing already uh, through this crisis, you know, governments have responded. Um, you know, we're seeing free transit uh, on a temporary basis. You know, we're seeing paid sick days in some jurisdictions. Not all, unfortunately, but in some we are. And we're seeing the removal of the requirement of, of doctor's notes. You know, we're seeing calls for emergency payments to uh, workers and their families. You know, workers who have lost their jobs for, through no fault of their own. Um, either, either because their businesses, business has slowed down um, or, uh, you know, the fact that uh, they have to take time off to deal with, uh, to take care of, uh, of a sick loved one. Uh, or to care for children who are off because the schools are closed. You know, we're seeing temporary wage increases, you know, of uh, all places, Loblaws. You know, Galen Weston fought tooth and nail against uh, the hike in minimum wage here in Ontario. You know, we're seeing some limited expansion of employment insurance. Uh, you know, not enough, but we're seeing some. We're seeing uh, job protections uh, being enacted so that workers... Um, who are forced to go home uh, won't lose their jobs. And we're even seeing uh, evictions uh, paused, uh, you know, as we, as we get through this, uh, through this rough spot uh, that we're going through with the coronavirus. You know, that was almost un unthinkable before, but you know, we're seeing, we're seeing jurisdictions do that. So uh, uh, it is amazing. Uh, and it's funny how, you know, everyone is suddenly seeing uh, the benefits of a society that looks after one another, you know, a society that um, is focused on uh, people's needs uh, and not just on making uh, making profits. Um, you know, all, all it took was a pandemic to get where we are. Uh, but now imagine the kind of world we can have if we had these things, you know, if we had these emergency reforms permanently, if they were a permanent part of our society. Why not, I ask? Now, before we get into that, I want to turn to uh, a real, uh, you know, a great Marxist, uh, Marxist scholar, uh, David Harvey. Um, there's a quote that he had in the March 23rd edition of the Tribune uh, that has a lot to say about our current situation um, and how it's linked to class. So here's what he had to say. The economic and social impacts are filtered through customary discriminations that are everywhere in evidence. To begin with, the workforce that is expected to take care of the mounting numbers of the sick is typically highly gendered, racialized, and ethnicized in most parts of the world. It mirrors the class-based workforces to be found in, for example, airports and other logistical sectors. This new working class is in the forefront and bears the brunt of either being the workforce most at risk from contracting the virus through their jobs or of being laid off with no resources because of the economic entrenchment enforced by the virus. There is, for example, the question of who can work at home and who cannot. This sharpens the societal divide, as does the question of who can afford to isolate or quarantine themselves with or without pay 
in the event of contact or infection. In exactly the same way that I learned to call the Nicaraguan and Mexico City earthquakes class quakes, so the progress of COVID-19 exhibits all the characteristics of a class, gendered, and racialized pandemic. While efforts at mitigation are conveniently cloaked in the rhetoric that we are all in this together, the practices, particularly on the part of national governments, suggest more sinister motivations. The contemporary working class in the United States, comprised predominantly of African Americans, Latinx, and waged women, faces the ugly choice of contamination in the name of caring and keeping key features of provision, like grocery stores, open, or unemployment with no benefits, such as adequate health care. Salaried personnel, like me, work from home and draw their pay just as before, while CEOs fly around in private jets and helicopters. So I think this quote, though long, um, you know, kind of puts the current crisis in perspective and really informs us as we try to figure out what we need to do um, to fix the problems happening now uh, and what we need to do to create a better world. You know, in our own context, we are seeing how the working class is being forced to bear the brunt of the coronavirus. You know, our experiences here mirror that of what uh, Mr. Harvey was saying. So even though there have been some advances, thanks in large part to movements of labor and socialists, we still have a long way to go to really make sure that our future reality is fair and just for everyone. So what is the path to this fair and just world? Socialism, as I call it. Well, first things first. We need to maintain the advances we have made. I'm talking about things like permanent higher wages and free childcare for all workers. Here in Ontario, we need to maintain job protections, but also bring back paid sick days, at least seven annually with 14 for emergency situations, like what we find ourselves in now. On a federal level, we need to ensure that any improvements are maintained while also pushing for more. You know, right now, EI payments equal 55% of one's salary. You know, that needs to go up to at least 75%. You know, very few people can live on 55%. Not for long, anyways. And we need employers to make up that difference from 55 to 75 we also need to convince our politicians that the changes they've made over the past few weeks should only be the beginning. You know, they need to see that what we are witnessing now, everything that has been done and is being done, is proof that we can bring forward bold responses and that these responses are the key to building a better world. You know, I saw a tweet the other day from somebody it was, to, uh, it was to Congress in the U.S., but we can say, we can say it could also be to uh, Prime Minister uh, Trudeau and the Liberal government. It goes like this. It goes, airlines, no bailout. Airline employees, bailout. Cruise lines, no bailout. Cruise line employees, bailout. Auto industry, no bailout. Auto industry employees, bailout. 
Major corporations, no bailout. Canadian worker, bailout. So history shows, though, that despite what I, what I just read, the following a crisis like what we're seeing, austerity generally follows. You know, that is my fear. Uh, you know, in, in Ontario, it doesn't take too much. It's not, it's not that big of a leap uh, to um, see Doug Ford and the Conservatives uh, telling voters next year, uh, you know, that we need to you know, tighten our belts, you know, to make up for the extra funding and money that, you know, that they had to spend uh, to get us through this crisis. Uh, but we can't let that happen. The coronavirus can be a reason to permanently protect the least among us. You know, we need to prioritize those who need it the most. And I'm talking about working people, the poor, and our most exploited and vulnerable. In the very least, we need to have a system in place that protects people when the next pandemic strikes. You know, if people need to stay at home, we must have financial security in place to take care of them. You know, lastly, we need to use what we're seeing today from governments to convince them that similar responses can solve the climate crisis. The gut reaction will be to say that this isn't the time to do it. Well, I say this is the perfect time. Not only is this recent radical social and cultural change proof that we can change our behavior at a rapid pace, we can also do so as a way to transition to a green economy that leaves no one behind. Instead of bailing out big oil, we can make the necessary investments in renewable energy and the retraining of workers. We are primed and ready to do this. We need to mobilize, energize, and make the green future a reality. As a socialist, I believe the past few weeks demonstrate that we must cancel capitalism. George Monbiot, a British environmental activist, shares this belief. You know, although he used to believe that capitalism could be saved, he's come around to our way of thinking, actually calling capitalism a weapon pointed at the living world. He recently recently said this, and it's pretty powerful. He said, like coal, Capitalism has brought many benefits, but, like coal, it now causes more harm than good. Just as, we, just as we have found means of generating useful energy that are better and less damaging than coal, so we need to find means of generating human well-being that are better and less damaging than capitalism. That, my friend, would be socialism. We can't lose our enthusiasm for building a socialist future. We can build a better world. We can build better, healthier communities for everyone. Never lose sight of what we want and what we believe is possible. Thank you for listening to Struggle in the Suburbs. I hope to have another episode ready next week. The social distancing we're all doing has forced me to change my plans a little bit. Um, But I think, uh, at least I'm going to try to have another episode up uh, and ready uh, sometime next week. 
Take care out there, everyone. Support workers, stay safe, share your love, and keep on fighting for a better world.